we're going to read three from three places in scriptures that are going to feel a little unrelated. Here we go. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stay, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Genesis 24. He replied, the Lord, this is Abraham speaking, before whom I have walked faithfully, will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. And then 2 Kings 6, this is Elisha and his, his servant. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that you would be in this service, that you would anoint my words. I believe you've given me this message. Please help me give it. And then, God, would you open our, the eyes of our heart that we might be able to see. Lord, everything changed for that servant when all of a sudden he could see in the spirit world and not just what his eyes, his physical eyes saw. Um, help us to see today Make this just a safe place to hear the word of the Lord and be in your presence. We, we ask this, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message is Embracing an Alternate Reality. And just to be honest with you, it doesn't really fit in our series. We're doing a series called Becoming a Friend of God. And the original plan on this, I was working on a book called An Angel's View, and I was gonna do this after Ephesians. Joe's last message in Ephesians was on spiritual warfare and, and before becoming a friend of God. And I had this standalone message on angels and on the, angel, the whole other reality of the spirit world. And, and we just couldn't get the book done. And so I wanted the book to be available and I'll tell you more about that and, and how you can get it. But here we are. Even though it wasn't supposed to be part of the series, I will guarantee you, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to be one of God's friends or one of his partners without embracing an alternate reality and, and learning how to deal with it. So point one today is the alternate reality. So here is where I got this alternate reality thing from. In 2013, we had a sabbatical and we were starting the sabbatical by going to Kansas City down to the house of prayer. And we're leaving on Monday morning and Alice tells me on Sunday night that she's got this new book and we're gonna read it in the car. We're gonna, we're gonna read it out loud in the car. It's called The Veil. And I'm like, okay, you know, I have no idea what it's about or what anything. And I go to bed that night and I have this dream. And in this dream, I am teaching people how to cast out demons. And I say the number one thing is you have to embrace 
an alternate reality. That you're never going to win a war you don't even know that you're in. And, and that you're, you're going to always end up fighting in the wrong battles. If, if, if you think your battle is with your spouse or with your boss or with the Republicans or with the Democrats, or you're always going to be in the wrong battle because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. There, there, there's an alternate reality. And the number one thing, if you're going to be successful, is to embrace this alternate reality. So I, this is point one of five in this dream. And I wake up, I'm, I'm like, that's that just... Interesting. And then we get in the van and I start reading this book. And it's all about this guy named Blake Healy. And it's about the spirit world. It's about, it's called the veil. And it's about this guy that has been able to see angels and demons his whole life. And, and honestly, if I had not had that dream, I don't think I would have been able to read that book. I just would have like, this, this is too much somebody's experience, not enough Bible, just... But because I had read that book, I'm just like, oh, or had that dream, I'm like, oh my, this is about the alternate reality. And so we are cruising down the highway. Alice is driving. We're going 70 miles an hour on our way to Kansas City, and I'm reading the book, and he's got this part in the book where he is, he's a little kid, he's maybe 10 years old, and he's listening to Christian music on the, the radio, and it's, 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 a, it's a plug-in. There's no batteries with this thing. It's a plug-in, and all of a sudden, the Christian music becomes demonic, and it starts being this really heavy, icky, dark music, and he goes over, and he pulls out the plug, so it should go off, and the music keeps playing, and as I'm reading that story, our van just completely shuts down. The motor, electricity, but Alice can't, she, she's like, Tom, I, I can't, I'm like, honey, because the power steering's gone, pull over, just, just pull, pull over to the side of the road. So she pulls over, and I say, I'm going to drive now. And so she gets out, comes around, I get in, and I get in, and I am so angry. I said, Devil! Get your hands off our van in Jesus' name. Started it up. The van never had a problem again. So there, but, but I know what was going on. So here, here's, here's the, the devil's plan for you. Either for you to not believe in him and not believe there is a demonic realm, or to make you terrified about it and try to intimidate you and get you over-focusing on it. Either don't believe in demons at all or focus on them and be afraid of them and be talking about them and seeing them everywhere. Either plan works for his purposes, an alternate reality. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there is an untold story in Scripture. Scripture, of course, is about human beings. It's about the fall of humanity and about the redemption that God first promised and then brought about through Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it's about our spiritual journey. But there's a whole nother story that is untold. And that is about the angels that fell away. The angels that no longer are with God, no longer serve God, and with that story is alluded to in Scripture, but it's never directly 
told. And so, and I just thought, this is, this is just fascinating. So I did, a, I wrote a book. The, the prologue and the epilogue are about warfare today. It's a fiction book, obviously. But the, the middle part is all about an angel. What would an angel say happened? What would, what would it be like to be an angel and be at the original creation and, and to, to be part of that fall and part of their new assignment when human beings are made and da-da-da-da-da. And so I wrote this book. It's out in the foyer. It's, it's $3. And just in case you get worried that I am getting rich, I, I don't get any of that money, okay? These, are, these belong to the church. It's the, the, it go, the, all the money goes into a fund. There's no one out there to take your money. There's just an envelope. You can put $3 in and just, just take a book. Now, I got 100 I thought that would be plenty. And most of them are gone, frankly. There's like maybe 20 left out there. If you can't get one, Today and you're just like I want. I wanted to get one and I didn't get there in time. Da da da. You can just go to Amazon. Just Tom Flaherty and it's right there. And you can you could buy one online, or if you want to wait, we'll have more at church eventually. So, so that's the book. So this is fascinating. Jesus revealed who Satan was, but not where he came from. So here's here's John eight forty four. You belong to your father, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So, he tells us who Satan is and what he does. He's a liar, he's a murderer, and he was from the beginning. So he says he was already here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in Genesis 1, in this world that God has called very good, very good, very good, but in Genesis 3, there's an evil presence and there's no explanation of where he came from. It is the serpent, he's called the devil. Satan is already Satan at our beginning. He's already fallen. Sometime before the creation of mankind, Satan had already fallen. And the Bible tells us that angels are, in, in Hebrews 1.14, are ministering spirits. They are spirits they are ministering to those who are going to receive salvation. Demons, the word demon means evil spirit. These are the angels that fell. They are called Satan's angels twice. Once in Matthew 25 and once in Revelation 12, 10. And in Revelation 12, 10, we even find out how many fell. A third of the angels fell with Lucifer. So um, in scripture, we get some indications from scripture of about the fall and then we're going to look at why they fell secondly. But I want you to just see a few of the indications that something happened to the original creation. So here's Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So is this an introduction to the six days of what God's going to do? Or is this actually an event of creation? 
Well, it's interesting because there are two Hebrew words that are used in Genesis 1. One is bara and one is asa. Bara, which is used here, means to create out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything out of nothing. The fact that this is a real creation event and not just an introduction should be evident by verse 2. Why? Because the earth is there. The earth's here, it's just underwater. And so is, and, and it's formless and empty, it says. Is that how God made it? Or did it become that? Well, it turns out that that word was, the earth was formless and empty. That word was, it's the, it's the Hebrew word haya, and it can just as easily be translated became. In fact, it is translated became in 67 other places. So God created the heavens and the earth, and this is what I believe, and the earth became formless and empty. Now, formless and empty is the Hebrew words tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu. That phrase, tohu vabohu, is used only two other places in the whole Bible. Let me, give you, let me tell you what the two other places are, and then we're going to come back here and look at this. So one is in, in Isaiah 34, 11. It says that Edom, because of their rebellion against God, uh, God sent a judgment on Edom that left them tohu vabohu. It was God's punishment for their rebellion against him, and God desolated them. This is the effect of his judgment. They are left tohu vabohu. The, the other place is in Jeremiah 4.23. Once again, it's Israel has rebelled against God. God has judged their rebellion, and the devastation of his judgment has left Israel, once again, Tohu vabohu. So in two of the places, it's God's desolating judgment on rebellion. This is the third place. And I believe in this third place, it is also God's desolating judgment on rebellion. I believe that in the original earth, that Lucifer was on this earth with a third of the angels. He had a throne. We'll see this later. It was a, it was a different Eden than our Eden. And when he fell, God judged this earth. And this earth was destroyed once and by a catastrophe. And then what we get in the six days is actually a, a recreation. The sun is already there. The, the, the heavens were made long ago. They're still there. Darkness is not filling the universe. Darkness is just on the face of the earth. Job says it was wrapped up in clouds, like, on, like swaddling cloths. And then God says, let there be light. And light starts to come through the, the cloud cover. And there's evening and morning uh, the first day. That's our first day. The fact that it says evening and morning with, with yam, which is the word for day, says it's a solar day. You can't have a solar day without a sun. The sun is already there. In fact, in, in verse, on day four in verse 16, it is, it, bara is not used. It's asa. Asa is to make something, to work on something out of pre-existing material. God, when God made the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, he is just pushing aside all the clouds so that you can see them on the earth. Just like when he made the earth in the later verses, he didn't make the earth. The earth's already there. He just, he, he moves the water aside so dry land appears and he calls the dry land earth. He just asked them. He worked on them. 
So we get some hints of judgment in Genesis 1. And it's interesting, in this situation, geology also points to an original earth that had a catastrophe destroy it. So the father of modern geology and paleontology is a guy named Georges Cuvier. He lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s, and he was the first person that said the earth is old. And it was because he had discovered extinctions. He says, he, he wrote, there, there, are animal, there are more animals that have lived and gone extinct than there are currently living on the earth. And he said, and there is one set of animals that has absolutely no relation to the current animals on this earth. He said, there has been more than one creation and there has been more than one catastrophe. He said, the last catastrophe on earth happened about less than 5,000 years ago and it was a worldwide flood. And this is not a Christian. This is a naturalist. And the reason why he said the last one was a worldwide flood was because of testimonies. 200 different cultures have testimonies of a worldwide flood. And they almost say the same thing. The, the, the most recent catastrophe was a worldwide flood. And so uh, he debated 50 years before Darwin. He debated a guy named Lamarck on the idea of evolution. And, and Lamarck was like the species all arose from one another and they've all, there's a common ancestor, they've all arose. And Cuvier just destroyed him in every debate because, dude, you're making it up. There's, it's not the fossil record. That's not what the fossil record looks like. The fossil record is marked by sudden appearance. When species appear, they appear all at once and fully formed and stasis. When they appear in the fossil record, they stay just how they were until they go extinct. That is what the fossil record shows. That's what it showed then. That's what it showed in the day of Darwin, which is why all of the geologists were against his theory. And then he found Archaeopteryx, which was also a fully formed species, but science joined on. It seemed like his theory might be true. And so they kind of went that way. And then for 100 years... Um, you couldn't find catastrophe in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in geology, in the fossil record, if you were a geologist, even though it's clearly there because you couldn't get grants unless you, everybody was looking for the missing link. Everybody's, everybody's trying to find the, the missing links and after looking for 150 years, the fossil record still says sudden appearance and stasis. Something happened though in the scientific community in 1980. Guy named Walter Alvarez said, I, I think the secret of what happened to the dinosaurs, it's in geology. What he found was a layer of iridium all around the world. It's, all at, it's at the same depth in every place around the world. They found it in 100 different places. Iridium is a very, very rare mineral on Earth, but it's abundant in outer space, it's abundant on meteorites. And his theory was, was that a, a huge meteorite, which is called an asteroid, hit the Yucatan Peninsula and at 45,000 miles an hour, seven miles wide, and it hit, hit in the Yucatan Peninsula. And at that time, it created tsunamis and a cloud cover that covered the whole earth. It immediately dissolved at that speed and created clouds loaded with iridium. And when that iridium came down, um, there is a, a layer 
at about 65 million years ago of iridium, and it goes all the way around the earth. It's called the KT line. There's not a single dinosaur above the KT line, and they're, they're all below the KT line. There, there, there was a catastrophe that happened on this earth that wiped everything out. And very interesting, the more research they do on this, the more now, now this is like almost settled in the scientific community. This happened. There was a catastrophe in the Earth's past, and what they will say is it wiped out 70 to 99.9%, depending on which scientists, of life on Earth. The reason why they can't say 100% is because of evolution. You, you, 65 million years might sound like a lot to you, but it's nothing if you need something to evolve through micro-mutations. It's not enough time. So to, to say everything was wiped out would say evolution can't be true, which I do not believe evolution is true, and I do believe everything was wiped out 65 million years ago in the KT line. Now, there are different opinions on creation, and, and guys, what we agree on is more God created, and he's the creator, and we worship him, and, and so if you have a different opinion, that's fine um, of exactly how things go. If you want to talk about it more, we're doing a class called Difficult Questions in September. Lisa Quintana and I are doing it, and we're going to talk about not just this question, but lots of different questions. That's all just for your whatever, just maybe you haven't thought about that before, maybe that's interesting, maybe it's not interesting, whatever. Let's move on to something a little more practical. Number two, that's point, that's point one. Why did Satan and his angels fall? There is a heartbreak in the heart of God of when these angels fell. And we don't know the story, but we do know why they fell. There's two there's two reasons that, the, that a third of the angels fell. Number one, they have free will. Lots of stuff in creation doesn't have free will. Stars are stars. They're, they glorify God as stars. Trees are trees. Animals are animals. They all bring glory to God. We see God's wisdom and the amazing creations. I can watch these mallard ducks floating in the water and then they take off and they fly and they're the beauty and the wisdom and that's just like, I just see God everywhere in creation. But, but all of these things are pre-programmed to glorify God. There is a curse and so some of it's messed up and we got animals eating each other. That's another sermon for another day. But anyway, um, we see God in, in all of creation, but human beings and angels... God wanted something more from. He wanted them, us to be able to choose him freely, which meant we would be able to reject him. And because this option was on the table, this is why a third of the angels could fall away. Or say, like, well, if I was God, I would create stuff that could never fall away and everybody would make it. And well, A, you're not God. <laughs> and, and, and B, he just does what he wants to. That's what it says. He's in his heavens. He does what he wants to. And he, he wanted us to have to choose him. He wanted us to, to choose to love him and choose to follow him. And, and it is the same with the angels. The second reason why they fell away is pride. 1 Timothy 3.6. He's talking about deacons. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 
So the devil right now is under judgment and it is because of pride. Ezekiel 28, 17, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Ezekiel 28 is a prophecy to the king of Tyre, human, a human king. But about halfway through this prophecy, he starts talking about an anointed cherub that was there in, in the Garden of Eden, but it's a very different Garden of Eden. Eden just means delight. It, he was, and it doesn't say garden, it just says Eden, and it's, it's, a, it's an Eden filled with jewels, and you were, you were there, you were the anointed cherub. You're supposed to be a guardian of the earth, and you were created perfect in all your ways until sin was found in you. Well, because those verses cannot refer to the king of Tyre. He was not in the Garden of Eden at the beginning, or in an Eden at the beginning, and he's not an anointed cherub. Most commentators say this is a reference to the one behind the king of Tyre, the, the dark personage behind him. Isaiah 14, verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. This is a prophecy to the king of Babylon, and once again, it's a human king. But then he says, your name was Lightbearer, which is the, the name Lucifer. And he says, what you said, and he says five things. I will be like God. I will raise my throne. There was a throne Lucifer had on earth. There was a kingdom he ruled on earth. And he wanted his throne to be like God's throne. And he wanted to be worshiped like God. This is how he fell. Now, part of the insight as to how he fell is in his first words to human beings. He says in Genesis, Genesis 3, he says, the reason why you can't eat the fruit is because God is holding out on you. He knows the day you eat, you will become like him. You can be a God yourself. And here's my guarantee, surely you won't die. Surely you won't die. This is the center of Lucifer's fall. He, for reason of his own beauty and his own splendor, he was the most beautiful angel of all of them. He fell. And eventually a third of the angels fall with him. And yeah, that's, that's point two. All right, here's point three. Last point, and this is where all the practical applications come. Winning the spiritual war today. I'm going to give you four points. They all start with the letter A so that you can remember them. So here's, here's A. Here's A1. Awareness. To win the spiritual war first, you need to be aware of the spiritual realm and you need to be aware that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. I think about this servant of Elisha. He goes out, and Elisha had been getting prophetic words 
uh, about where the armies of Syria were going to attack next. And Elisha would see it from God. He would tell the king. And so Israel was always ready. And the king of Syria was so frustrated by this. He's like, we're going to send the whole army to take out this prophet. Because they, they said, here's, here's why. Because the king is like, which one of you is betraying me? He says, nobody's betraying. There's a prophet in Israel. That's the problem. And he's like, well, send the army to the prophet. So, so the servant wakes up, looks outside. They're, the whole enemy army is at their door. And he's like, Mr. Elisha, I think we have a problem. This is really, really, really bad. And Elisha's not even worried about it. And he prays this prayer, Father, open his eyes so that he can see what's really going on. And when his eyes are open, he doesn't just see the Syrian army anymore. He sees all of the angels of God on these chariots and fire, these chariots of fire. And he's like, oh boy, there are more with me than are with them. And I think it's really important for us to remember a third of the angels fell. That means two-thirds didn't fall. There are angels that are on our side that are fighting with us and for us and helping us. Really important to recognize that. I included that scripture about Abraham. He said God will send his angel in front of us because Angels are just part of scripture. They're everywhere. Every story, every prophet. There's an angel had appeared to Hagar. Two angels appeared to Abraham earlier. Angels are all the way through scripture. Here's, here's Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I think it's important for us to realize God, God doesn't need angels but he chooses to partner with them. God likes to partner, and so he gives them assignments, and they watch over us, and they guard us, and they report back to him. It says in, in, in Luke's gospel that they, they give a report back, or I'm sorry, Matthew 18, that they, they give an account back. They come before the throne, and they report on us, and God includes angels. He doesn't need angels. He chooses to partner with them, just like us. He doesn't need us, but he partners with us. Because he loves us and he wants to do his work with us. Um, Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The way the harvest is going to come in is not just us. It's God's got angels that are bringing people and setting up appointments and getting people where they need to be. And, and there is a harvest coming in and God's purposes are going to happen through, not just through us, but also through angels. So... When I was the college and career pastor here, this was, it was Lake City Church at the time, we had lots of students in the ministry, and we found this one girl in our group, her name was Sue, and we dragged this out of her. She said, I don't share this with anyone because people think I'm crazy, but if you really want to know, here's what's going on. And she had the gift of discernment. There, there, are, there is a, a Holy Spirit gift called discernment. And there are different levels of that gift. Some, you can sense spiritual things and you're just very close to the spiritual world and it's just more real to you. But the highest level of this gift is where you can actually see into the spirit world. She said, we, this has been in my family. We've got a whole family of discerners. But she said, just to be honest, I've got it more than anybody else. I've been able to see into the spirit world my whole life. I'm like, really? I'm like, well, give us a time where you saw, what's the most recent time you saw angels? And she said, oh, she said last Sunday night, she said, 
there was a concert at church. A second chapter of Acts had a concert at Lake City Church. And she said, there were angels all over the sanctuary. She said, I just saw them float. And I'm like, well, what did they look like? They're, well, they're, float, they're floating in the air. They're, they're light. You, sometimes I see them more clearly than other times. But she, she said this. She said, angels of worship. Wherever there's worship, you're gonna, angels will gather because they, they, they love to join worship. And then we're like, okay. I had, a, I had another guy with me. We were doing these interviews. And we're writing everything down. Like, when's the last time you saw a demon? She said, oh, yesterday. Really? What was that like? Well, she said they, I don't really clearly see them. They just kind of like are like this black, hazy ball. And, and it comes in, and when it's near, you start getting cynical, and you start getting self-pity. I mean, just lots of bad stuff, and, and I'll see it. And, and I'm like, okay, how do you get rid of it? Oh, you got to tell it to go in Jesus' name. Do they go? She said, sometimes. She said, it turns out you, you have to mean it. So sometimes I'll just say, get out of here. Get out of here in Jesus' name. And she said, it's like a, it's like a dog nipping. You got, sometimes you guys say, get out of here in Jesus' name. And boom, they're gone. And you just, you just got to mean it. And so aware. You need to be aware of the spiritual world. Not just the, the negative side of it, but the, the good side. There, we've got help here, folks. Second A is authority. The first sign that follows believers is an authority over spirits of darkness. If you read your Bible, if you read the Gospels, and you actually look for this, because we tend to read the Gospels through our current lens, and we're just looking for what we already believe. Instead of believing what we read, we usually read what we already believe. If you actually just take the Gospels and just read them for what they say, you're going to find out, oh my, Jesus spent like half of his ministry dealing with demons. (laughs) Half his ministry is about him dealing with darkness and destroying darkness and taking authority over darkness and teaching about darkness. And like, what, this was really a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. Jesus wants you to win. He wants you to win. And here's what he said. All authority has been given to me. And now I am giving that authority to you. You're going to go out in my name. I'm going to be with you. And you're going to carry my authority. Mark 16, 17. uh, Those who believe are going to be saved. And then he says this. These signs will follow those that believe. Number one, they will cast out demons. He gives every believer authority over demons. He stripped Satan's authority on the cross. He stripped his authority. His right to be involved in our lives has been stripped away from him and every believer has authority over demons. So we're talking to Sue and uh, and we're interviewing her and she, she tells us about her mom and she says, I remember this one time that mom had went, was in a very dark place. Some very difficult things happened to her life and she wouldn't get out of bed. And, and what had happened was there was this cloud, this dark cloud at her doorway. And she said, I remember we would worship around it. We would try to command it. We would try to tell it to leave and and we, we couldn't move it because mom was agreeing with it. So we had to urge mom 
to stop living in the, the lies that she was living in. Stop agreeing with all these lies. And mom, you need to take authority. You need to step up. You need to say, you need to tell the devil to leave. You need to say, this is not who I want to be. And you need to rise up in your authority. And she said, and when mom did that, no problem. We got rid of the cloud right away. Awareness, authority. Number three, analysis. So turns out, it's, it's in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. And Paul's, Paul says, our weapons are not carnal. They're not fleshly weapons. They're not guns and knives. Our weapons are spiritual. And here's, here's what we're doing with these weapons. We are tearing down strongholds. And then he, he defines what a stronghold is. Every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. He said, we're demolishing these thoughts. So a stronghold is not a demon. A stronghold is this system of thinking that protects darkness in your life. And so you can actually get rid of a demonic presence, but if you don't deal with the lies that are around it, they will still have access to you. And so Paul says we, take, we, we destroy those and we take every thought in captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is why um, to stay free, you have to walk in the truth. It, it turns out this authority that, you, well, it, if the devil's already lost his authority, then why are we have so much trouble with him? Well, because here's what our God's also willed, <laughs> that that if he can get us to believe his lies, then he will have some authority in our lives. That the authority, you got to agree with God to, to, to walk in that authority. So the enemy, can has, to get access, he has to get you to believe a lie and get you to agree with it. And so you always have to deal with both the demon and the lies that you might be believing. So to do this, you have to analyze and be willing to analyze your own thoughts. So let me tell you about Peter. This is one of the most startling passages in the whole Bible. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is the first time that they say it with their own mouth. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not show this to you, Peter. This has been revealed by the Father in heaven. So I'm going to call you Peter, which means small stone. It's, it's the male version of, of rock, Petro. And on this Petra, which is the female version, and, and it's the word for bedrock, I'm going to build my church. The, the bedrock of the church is this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, I'm going to put you in charge, and you're going to be given keys to open the kingdom to to people. You're, you're, you're gonna, I'm going to put keys in your hand. You're going to partner with heaven, and you're going to open up the kingdom of God to people. And I mean, this is just stunning that God is sharing this, and that pe- human beings are going to be keys. And then, then we have Peter's first act of leadership. So once they call him the Christ, Jesus corrects their interpretation of what the Christ is, because they believe the Christ is going to come to kick butt. Christ is going to take over, and we're going to be in his army, and we're going to take over, and this is going to be, this is going to, the glory of God, the glory of Israel, the nations are going to be destroyed, and everybody's going to follow us, and we're going to be the best, and we're going to be awesome, and, 
and they just got the wrong idea. They just haven't read the Bible. They read the parts of the Bible they liked, and they, they ignored the other ones. And so Jesus says the Christ is going to suffer, just like the Bible says. The priests are going to turn him over. He's going to suffer, and he is going to die. And Peter, his first act of leadership, uh, Lord, yeah, this will never happen to you. I'll guarantee it. This will never happen to you. And here's what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. You have become a stumbling block. The very one that was called to be a key has become a block in my way. Because you have in mind the interests of man rather than the interests of God. Not the interests of hell. The interests of man. See, we can, when we're all about our own interests and our own ambition and our own plan, we can actually get in league with darkness. Satan can actually use us, and it can be our, I mean, Peter's the top guy. He's very religious. He loves God. He loves Jesus, but he's, he's filled with his own interests and his own plan and, and what he thinks should be done, and you, you can get trafficking in darkness. Why is that? Well, that's how the enemy fell, isn't it? Pride. Pride is very blinding, and when we become the hero of the story, when we become the judge of what sh- everybody should do and what the church should be doing, what, what, when we take that place of judge, we cross over into this realm of pride and it's very, it's very hidden and we can be good people, Christian people can be used by darkness and we can actually be saying the wrong thing even though we do love Jesus. So the third A, probably the most important, is you've got to be willing to analyze your own thoughts. You can't just assume that everything you think is from God. You just can't, even though you're a spirit-filled Christian, even though you love Jesus, the the idea that you have an idea or that you have a thought or that you, you, you just need to have a little skepticism about your own stuff, especially if there's lots of energy behind it. The enemy can come, and he's, just to give us a little credit, he's been around. He's been deceiving Christians for 2,000 years. He's really good at this. Paul says he disguises himself as an angel of light. He is the master of disguise, and he can manipulate things to his own end and get us on bunny trails of all kinds. So, so because of that, we all have to have just this humility about our own thoughts and our own ideas and our own opinions and just, just hold them a little more loosely. God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud, even if the proud are Christians. So I don't know about how you feel about it. I need grace. I need grace. Jesus said, I'm standing at the door, and it's in the context of church. It's the Laodicean church. What is is their problem in Laodicea? They have said, we need nothing. Their, Their hearts are filled with their own religious pride. We need nothing. And Jesus is at the outside of the door saying, you guys don't even know. You are wretched, poor, naked, and blind. And I've got everything you need. I've got fire to refine you and take away the, the, that. And I've got, I've got eye salve so that you could see what I'm seeing. I, I, I've got garments of white to take away the shame that, that you're operating on and your identity. I've got, but I need you to humble yourself. 
and open the door and let me come in. We walk with God, we love God, but we don't have this tremendous allegiance to whatever our opinion is. Well, Pastor Tom, it, it was so real, and I feel so strongly about that. Well, if it's a strong feeling and a strong thought, remember this, the devil roars. He roars. Just because it's loud doesn't mean it's true. Analysis. You, we have to. Oftentimes, we just, we want to get free. We, we don't like darkness. We want to get free, and, but we won't change our thinking to agree with what God is saying and what God is doing. And so oftentimes, my prayer is this. God, save us from us. Save us from us. Save us from our humanity that just easily wants to be the hero of the story. Here's what I've learned. There's nothing God can't and won't do in us and through us. But we never get to be the hero. Jesus has to be the hero. And if you can agree to those terms, this life is a great adventure. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. But when you take the role of savior and judge on yourself, it's crushing. Number four, praise God. Thank you. I needed that. All right. Uh, Acceptance. Acceptance is this, that we need to accept God's purpose for our existence. So here is God's purpose for the present time we are in. Jesus said this, there are going to be false prophets and false teachers. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be famines and earthquakes and hurricanes And there's going to be persecution and even martyrdom until the gospel is preached to the whole world. It is God's will that the human race has to choose him in the darkness. In the darkness of everything the enemy is doing. You say, well, why doesn't God just get rid of Satan? He will. Right now, Satan is not in his final judgment. You can't tell the devil, just go to hell. Go to the pit. We're sending you away. Never bother anybody again. Sorry, guys, you can't do that. It's God's will that he is allowed. He's part of the present darkness that we have to choose Jesus in the midst of. You say, well, I, I would never do it that way. Well, this is, I get it. You, we were born into a world that we didn't set up and we didn't decide how it was. So then, then the question comes, why? Why would Jesus make us choose him in the darkness, in the darkness of false religion, in the darkness of wars and human selfishness and ambition, the the darkness of natural disasters and the curse that's on creation, and then in the midst of us being persecuted, even martyred for believing in Jesus, why would he make us choose him in the midst of darkness? Well, the first group, the angels, chose him in the light, and a third of them fell away. God is doing in his goodness is he's making you and I choose him before we can even see him. That we fall in love with who he is. And if we choose him in the darkness, when we see him in the light, we will never leave him for all eternity without him ever having to take away free will. He is securing our eternity by us choosing him now. But it's more than that. It says in Ephesians 3 
that God, through the gospel, through the church, is revealing his wisdom to the principalities and powers and all of the heavenly spirits. It's not just about us. That we are enforcing the judgment of those who fell because they are seeing us worshiping him before we can even see him. And we just get little glimpses, tiny little glimpses, and we still love him and worship him. And they're like, mm, we rejected him when we saw him in his glory and his beauty and and we, he was right there and we rejected him and, and their judgment is known. But it's not just that. Did you know the two-thirds of the angels that stayed are, are still at risk? They've got free will. And what's happening is they are falling in love with Jesus through the church. They are seeing us. They're like, oh my, these people are getting beat up in life and they still love Jesus. I mean, we've never had a need that's unmet. We, we see his glory. We see his beauty. We, they don't, they're in total darkness and they're choosing Jesus. And they're like, Jesus is wonderful. And God is strengthening all of the angels that remained.